You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Galante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Normally, it's when you were born, were you an artist? But um, what I'm trying to get is what people see as like in your origination. Are you born into this world of artists? As an artist, it's an identity question. So I usually try to get at like how you see yourself as an artist or when you saw yourself as an artist. I think, you know, there's different stages. So was, you know, when did I identify as an artist? Probably in junior high, high school. I mean, my students always ask me, how did you know you wanted to study art? I'm like, I'm all like gothed out. I'm like, really? There, what, was I going to go study like accounting? Like it just, it, it just was like an obvious choice. There wasn't like a decision to be made. But like as a kid, I, I, I remember the first time that I thought I was an artist. Is remember Highlights magazine? Sure do. And remember in the back they used to have like activities that you could do like art projects. Sure and I do. always thought I, I wanted them to be like you know I'm like I want to sculpt. You know, I want to use clay. I don't want to cut out. I just thought they were so not uh, challenging enough for me as a young. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, yeah. I really want to make something. Like, I, I think I. Um, so obviously from an early age, I had a uh, propensity for such uh, thinking and, and also being a double Virgo criticizing when it didn't live up to my expectations. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's that, 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 that instinct that highlights did not, did not, uh, well, it prompted you to, to search, uh, for more. Um, Hey everybody, we're talking with Pam Valfer. I'm so excited to be talking with Pam. Uh, we're reaching her from, uh, California, uh, very talented, uh, multidisciplinary artist. She is, uh, the band, uh, Kitty Craft. She, uh, does art. She teaches art. She's a union rep. We got a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> stuff to talk about, uh, uh, Pam. And, um, just, uh, wanted to, to, to welcome you to onto something rather than nothing. Well, thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me, and I I appreciate your kind of, your introduction. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 definitely great to have you. And um, one of one of the one of the things in art I become uh, fascinated with um, are folks like yourself who um, kind of live 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 art and kind of uh, transform and and, and move uh, through art and and create and uh, use your mind. Uh, in different ways. And I think we're going to get into talking about space and, and time and mm. sound uh, and, and, and disruption. Um, before we dig too farther anything, I want to I want to start with our, our, our a big question about what it is that we're talking about and what it is that 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 you do. Um, for you, Pam, what is art? What is what is this what is this thing that you spent so much of your time and in life trying to grapple with and create? What's art for you? Well, is are you asking what is art for me personally or do I, what what do I think about art philosophically? I'd like to sense? know what art is for you for you personally. I mean, in a way, my answer is somewhat similar in that 
I think art is a uh, is not a static idea. So depending like historically, art has been um, representative of a culture in different ways. Like the way art operates today is very different than the Renaissance and the ideals of art today are very different than the Renaissance perhaps. So I think it's a, a mirror of its time. And I think my art is a mirror of my, in, my, myself, my internal state, my time. So art has definitely shifted and changed throughout the years for me, for sure. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've gone through many stages, visual art, uh, doing music um at you know um what is art i mean well when you're when you're when you're when your students you had students coming into the class right they've right. taken in they've taken an art class and uh, you know you work hard and you gotta you, you live this and you're trying to for many of them you might be bringing them along and introducing them uh, uh to it hmm. what what is what is it what is it that um, you wish to, to, to convey to them about, mm. about art, you know, when they've gone through your course, they'd be like, all right, here's what I tried to do. And here's, here's what she was teaching me. And here's what I did. Like what, what's, what's that process? Well, that's an, that's interesting. Cause I feel like the older I've gotten the all parts of me have kind of uh, there's a synergy between me as an artist, me as a teacher, me as a pr- person in the world, like all those things don't feel like disparate. So I see my teaching as an offshoot of being an artist. And uh, the reason that I I work at a community college in particular is I feel like, um, first of all, I love the dialogues I have with my students there. Uh, It's just such a, it's far more well-rounded. And I've worked at both art colleges and different colleges, but I, I really appreciate Um, working at a community college. And I feel like teaching art can be a very politically subversive act. And I'd like, and let me explain that. I think that in teaching people to deconstruct what's in front of them, even through just like learning how to draw, you know, a, a cup, you're deconstructing something. You're looking at it long enough to look at pieces of it and question pieces of it. And I, and I've noticed that as I teach a, a drawing class in particular, um, you know, I've asked students, uh, they've come up to me and they're like, you know, I, I do this run every day. And now I notice all these things that I never noticed. And it's yeah. just to me, that act of slowing down and looking and is, is so meaningful as a human on the earth. So if these people never make another drawing again or whatever, that's fine by me. I think this is something that can is is a, a great skill set for for life, for your own life, for politics, for just any aspect of life. If you can sort of slow down and deconstruct what's in front of you, so in a way, I feel like when I teach that, I'm almost teaching you know to to hopefully uh, questioning little humans that go into the world and, and really uh, break down what's in front of them. Yeah. Critical thinking. Um, yeah. So that's a big part of my art. Yeah. I love that. And on that, on that point too, um, I like what you had to say. And I think there's this massive intention in art. Usually when you bring it up to folks about whether, you know, 
whether it's reinforcing or whether it's deconstructing, I think we can obviously see a lot of artists who by the disruption of what they do, either it's by the message or however they do it, uh, can be uh, very disruptive. And there's also the kind of force of art or what art is um, that feels heavy uh, for mm-hmm. folks of the, of, of, uh, of the tradition um, of art, you know, and what needs to be upheld or who you never see as artists historically because of what art was um, Mm -hmm. defined as. What do you think uh, the role of art uh, is? And I think we've gotten into a a bit of, uh, of, of your thinking, but what, what is, what is the role of art? And right now um, in, in, in 2022 in California, United States or in the United States, like what is the role of art? What is it supposed to be doing? You think? Well, you're right. I sort of touched on it earlier is that, you know, throughout history and it's always uh, been something different, right? Like, you know, Caravaggio's paintings served a purpose, very specific person, uh, purpose. I'll be, I, I, in a way, I would say the similar thing would be that it's communicating. I think that would might be a thread that um, runs through it all. You know, Caravaggio uh, was hired by the churches to do these epic paintings of, you know, scenes out of the Bible. And you have to think about it like most of the people of that time probably were illiterate. And so they would to illustrate that into these paintings that were very dramatic to, you know, uh, impose the importance and the strength of God to the, the common man. You know, um, so there is an element of communicating and um, in the same way, it, it, I think it is that way today. Now, I mean, the state that we're in now where everything is being questioned. So the so I think art has become overtly political, not that it hasn't been in the past, yeah. but I think it's particularly having a, a moment. Um, do I think like someone who's painting a painting I think that can be political. Like, I don't think you need to be uh, necessarily doing these immersive political uh, interruptions through art um, to necessarily make it a political act. I think if anything, specifically the pandemic, that's when I think it really, I think it started earlier than that, but I think the pandemic was a time when people really, we're looking at what they're doing and they're like, why, why does this matter? Yeah. So if you choose, if you actively choose to make a painting, you're doing it with a sense of self-awareness of your, your, your place in time and what is going on around you. So, yeah. you know, I've heard people say there is no non-political art. And I, I kind of tend to believe that right now. Now that's not a, uh, necessarily necessarily something that's going to be forever you know it's uh, the pendulum swings right and right now this is where the pendulum is and I think it's you know so it serves a very important um, uh, social socio-cultural political uh, critique at this moment in time that's where I think we are at this time yeah yeah and I know 
I, I, I know when, uh, you know, art can appear, you know, as it appears in, in, in time, I think what, what you're talking about is that the, at least external to the artist and the, the piece of art that in charged times would be like the, the, the question of like, Hey, you're painting a banana, like shit's going down. You know, there's this, this, there's this sense in, it doesn't mean that that person doing art isn't doing something that's useful or, or necessary. It's just, there's a lot of pressure to be like, particularly folks who are saying this is crucial what's going on in, in importance, but everybody has, has different roles. But I think you're right that people will feel a little bit more of. <laughs> well, I hope the pressure. they would. I, yeah. I hope they would. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, if someone isn't, if someone isn't aware of their place in the conversation, that makes me concerned a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter what it is, I think it's part of being an artist is being self-reflective. I think that's a built-in aspect of it. Um, yeah. From looking aesthetically and technically at what you're doing and having self-reflection to content and meaning having self-reflection. Um, some lean more to the left, some more to the right on that. But I think if nobody was affected by what's been happening politically and, you know, uh, culturally, I, I, I mean, God bless you. You live in a box. Like, I don't know how you couldn't be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it makes me suspect that, that that I would want to unpack with somebody as to yeah, how you'd they want to understand. be outside of it. Yeah. You'd want to understand. Um you mentioned um, in the you know, artist statement the phrase um, "politics uh, of space" of kind of uh, dealing with and interrogating politics of space um, uh, with your art, particularly uh, in installation. What's um, what's that mean? What what's that mean? Well, it means that how. Um, I think it's evolved for me, but always the center theme has been like space and its uses or its uh, projected uses. Um, I think one of a, a critical texts that really made a, 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 a difference for me, it's a fairly common text, but is um, simulacrum and simulation. I think that one, you know, I think it's a fairly common one, but it, yeah. it's really led me to think about how how culture uh, is um, author's space and who author's space. And if, if uh, we should know who is authoring space, because, yeah. you know, I got really interested a few years ago in architecture and in... Uh, uh, Corbusier and these ideas of utopic architecture. And then I got interested in the failure of utopic architecture. And, you know, it's a bunch of guys sitting around going, you know, the space could be better used this way, you know, and it, it seems a bit like a, a, a agendaed, like space can be very agendaed without consideration of how, how the people that use the space might, might feel about your agenda. So I, I, that's, I think, where the politics of space started getting really interesting for me. And I think it, um, it, it expanded out into um, less object-based work and more um, uh, working within the environment. Yeah, yeah. 
I um there was you were mentioning something there, and I hadn't thought about it for, uh, for a while. Um, but it was it was about it was about space and the author or intent of it. And uh, mm-hmm. very first episode of this podcast I had a while back was with um, Hannah Hull, and she uh, with others created um, an asylum uh, for for mental health, but that was derived and created from the patients. And their right, needs, right. rather than the, uh, the the external and the kind of radical uh, transfer, you know, transformation of um, of space that 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 right. happened there. Yeah, right, right, um, right. For um, so with with the more of a focus now, um, you, you've gone deep into both, um, you know, visual and uh, you know, audio. Uh, with your art, with, with the music. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question? What I wanted to know was with your intent and what you're trying to do with those two forms, did you find that your experience of whether you achieve what you're trying to do or maybe proof from the audience that you were understood or accomplished, did you, did you find a very different reality with, creating songs and sound versus some of the, the more physical pieces as far as understanding that what you've done has been received. <laughs> I think, you know, there's never a guarantee. And I, I think I can speak for myself that I think the difference between music and art and communicating, I think art is more opaque and I think music is more immediate and accessible and it's it's like it's like an easy or not easy it's a more immediate uh affect on the body and so it can really um create connection and emotions and i think art can do that too obviously through a different uh through the visual and sometimes other aspects too but um i think it requires more of you. Visual art requires more of the viewer, a bit more of the viewer. Um, so it can be more difficult to have that, that uh, back and forth with the viewer. I honestly accept the fact that, you know, um, people come to what I do from different experiences and different uh, points. And I don't necessarily expect this sort of like hundred percent, you know, exchange of, of understanding and ideas. I try to set up a proposition that wherever you're at, you can walk away with some aspect of what I'm putting out. So I, I, I'm not, I mean, I am concerned and I'm not concerned. Um, I'm very concerned with how my work is communicating, but I also accept the X factor that people are going to come in with their own thoughts and feelings. Um, I actually, you know, that's really funny that you asked that. I, can I tell a story about like when I had like, a can. nervous breakdown about that? <laughs> Stor- s- stories are the, that's, that's, that's the butter. Okay. Stories are the butter. So I was just out of, I think I was out of undergrad. I graduated with a BFA and I was just, I was, I was a painter, a very committed painter. And I was, since I was out of school, I was just kind of making these paintings, knocking them out, doing another one. 
And um, I had done this, like, I was very interested in, I, or my subject was, I was collaging images into the sort of this one uh, believable, I'm doing hand quotes, believable <laughs> scene. You know, I, I'd sort of cut, do cut ups and stuff and then uh, do kind of a realistic space-ish. And I had done this one painting, which when I look back is kind of ridiculous, but I'd done this big, of this like big rubber duck in a bath with like a baby. And I thought it was like super creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I've always had a little of the darker overtones in my creative output, <laughs> but well, anyway, well, so, well, well received here. Keep going. <laughs> so um, I remember I had the painting up. I, I, this was in Minnesota somewhere. I can't remember who even said this, but like a friend came over with another friend who wasn't like an artist. And um, she said, Oh, that's a great painting. That would be really great in a baby's room. And I like it just flung me into the universe of like <laughs> of like, oh my God, what am I doing? Am I making art for for baby rooms? <laughs> and I I really, you know, and everyone's yeah. like, oh Pam, you know, they, they didn't know it. it. But it's those comments that have had a real deep impact on me because then I start to I go wow what does that mean and I really don't push it away as oh they don't know my brilliance and what I'm up to but I really sit with it I do really sit with it and I think it's an opportunity to see how things are being received yeah and I think that's a gift I think that's a gift I think people should run towards that and not away from that um because if your work is being received in a certain way and it's, I mean, it is very different than you intended, then I think that's a moment where you need to sort of take stock and go, okay, well, how, how am I doing? Yeah. What, what? And so I think that shifted me into a new direction. And I think that's happened twice in my life as a visual artist where a comment seemingly benign would yeah. happen to me. And I'd be like, holy shit it would just melt my brain and I would, I would just like my eyes roll back in my head and I'd just be like, I just have to sit with this. And, you know, I'm, I'm human too. I remember when those comments happened, I um, was very offended, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, but the longer I sat with it, it like twisted my brain yeah. and it led me to uh, richer grounds. Ultimately, I think. Yeah. I, I, I love that. It is a tough spot for anybody to, 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 to hear how something's seen. And sometimes the reactions can be incredible. Sometimes you laugh because like, Oh my gosh, I didn't see it. Or sometimes you're like, there's none of that in there. And it's a, it's a, it could be a fruitful interaction. If you get the habit, like you said, it could be a gift. It can be, you know, it can put you to the, you know, onto your, uh, onto your next step. I love, uh, I love your mention of Baudrillard and, uh, simulacra and <laughs> simulation. And, uh, um, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about that too. Um, one of the things I wanted, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you a bit about is, um, something I had mentioned at the beginning that, um, you're, uh, uh, you, you teach art, uh, it's community college and you also do, um, union work around like sticking up for folks who are, who are doing that, who are doing that work, which is mm-hmm. really difficult to do. Um, I think generally, you know, the university of college structures, um, is, is based on a, 
old system, sometimes feeling medieval and right. worker, worker issues are, are prominent. And, um, there's the crass, uh, necessity of having to live, work, survive as, as an artist. So, you know, and as your role as, as an, as an advocate, tr- trying to help people who want to teach, get what they deserve and also the freedom to, to do it. What, what is that experience like? Does it, does it help? Does it complicate things? Does it, does it open things up uh, fundamentally as far as your, your advocacy, your wanting to change things side? Well, I think my greatest gift and my worst quality are the same, which is I do not suffer fools well. (laughs) And it's been, it's been a great, uh, like I said, a great thing, and it's been an albatross around my neck. Um, yeah, I really feel passionate about about representing and and uh, people who who feel that they don't have a voice, and um, so working with an institution as a union rep is very frustrating. um you know i i the optimist in me sees it like you know change happens like you turn a cruise liner ship where it's like a slow and i do emphasize slow slow turn slow bend that's the optimist in me (laughs) the 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 pessimist is like we're all fucked (laughs) and uh feeling very uh um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, feeling very discouraged by yeah. the uh, red tape and politics of it all, and the it, it just it it's you know nothing is perfect. You know, I mean, I love the union. It's not perfect, and that's yep. okay. That's that's just the way it is. That doesn't mean it should go away. Like certain groups of people believe it should. You know, um, I, I, I pick my battles wisely and I always ask myself, is this the hill I'm willing to die on? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't die on every hill. (laughs) No. And I just want to thank you for that, for that, for that work. I mean, I think a lot of times people look at the labor movement and think it's, you know, you know, should, or should look like, or should be a function into some sort of a highly efficient corporation or some sort of uh, business model. But it's, it's, it's complicated because it's largely a volunteer organization of people volunteering time after they've worked long shifts, mm-hmm. after they've done all the things they're supposed to do, and then be like, here's the union meeting. Let's solve all the, you know, working conditions issues that we just experienced. And it's, it's, it's fundamentally a tough, a, a, a tough road, but um, I do, I do find uh you know, inspiration in, in, in small victories and also honestly inspiration outside the labor movement where some of the real organizing is going on right Yo, now. Amen. A- yeah. You know? Amen to that. Yeah. It's one part of a whole organism. And I think yeah. if you think of it as the, you, you're going to put all your chips on that corner of, of it. I think you're going to be sorely disappointed. I think it's, you know, I think you're really, if you can take what the unions, uh, stands for and apply it through your life in other ways, not the, not the, the, um, uh, organization per se, but what 
you think the union should stand for. That's I keep saying synergy. I think like things are really um, in a good place if you have this synergetic synergetic energy to who you are as a person, who you are as a wife, as a husband, as a girlfriend, as a partner, um, to what you do externally. That's when you're in the pocket to me. And um, that's where I feel the older I get, the more I feel that interconnectivity. And also understanding you can't put your eggs in one basket, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughts on that. Uh, everybody, we're talking with Pam Balfour and um, uh, it's a great chat with you, Pam, uh, talking, uh, you know, philosophy, politics, union stuff, art, Baudrillard, birth embarrassing moments and whatever. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you uh, a bit about um, uh, your incarnation uh, within, within music and in, in, in Kitty craft. And um, uh, as I mentioned to you, I, um, I adore uh, your music. And um, one of the pieces I was thinking of when you're answering the kind of audio visual question, I was thinking about the role of movement and dance uh, mm. and, and just the, the, I, I'm drawn to movement uh, with your music. Oh, and wow. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, just, I, just, I, just yeah, I just am. So and so I think of like uh, some of those physical responses to what's going on with music that you might not find in other places of, you know, movement. Um you got, so there's been this, uh, I don't know how to say it, but like rediscovery of mm -hmm. in, in some, some lost tracks and things. So you've had things released, you know, on, on streaming, um, over the past couple of years, um, lost tapes and Mew or you're supposed to say Mew or Meow? Mew? Meow is M-E-O-W. So it is, right. It M -E -O -W. is Mew. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I got this down. So now I know exactly <laughs> what to say when this happens. But what is what? What the heck's this been like uh, for you? You know, you're doing your thing. This is an era. This was you doing music, and now it, it's it's popping up again, and it's around you. What's that experience like? It's very surreal. Um, it it's it it's. I feel blessed. I feel honored. I also feel like I'm watching it happen to somebody else. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> um, I have really who I have to thank for that. Um, my, my partner, my, my, my boyfriend, he's has experienced that. And when I, when we started going out, I had this record unreleased record, which was lost tapes. I never released it. And he's like, let's just put it up on Spotify. Let's put your catalog catalog up. And so he's really been the main engine in um, the wind beneath my wings on this, if you will. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and helping, helping. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll put it out for free and, you know, whatever. And people should just hear it. And it's just sort of snowballed from that. And it, that was, I mean, a, a bit unexpected. It, it's really um, the people that write me are just so gosh darn sweet. I, I mean, the fans are just melt your heart delightful. And um, yeah. Uh, so good on, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> like this, this, a lot of, a lot of my fans are, you know, un, under 18 between like, you know, 25 and eight and 15 or something. And 
just the really heartfelt notes that I get are just really moving. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, I have a bit of an internal struggle because, you know, I'm working on these visual art projects and, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of like where I put my time. Right. Yeah. Um, and as I told you earlier, I, I still work with sound, uh, but in a very different way. So for instance, um, in my art world, how do I work as a sound? I use it as a component of the concept of the piece that I'm showing. So I had a show in 2016, early 2016. Um, I, like I said, I was interested in the politics of space. You had mentioned that. And so I did a show where um, I was interested I could see it coming. I could see Trump coming. This was before Trump was really coming. He hadn't been elected yet, but I felt a call to duty to put out, to start a dialogue about how history is replaying itself from like, you know, fascism and, you know, the 1930s, 40s in Germany and my family is Jewish and we escaped Germany. And so I felt really compelled and in a personal way to connect what's happening now to what happened in the past and sort of like wake people up like, Hey, it's happening now. Like, and so I did that through an installation at a gallery called um, elephant elephant art gallery here in LA. And basically I was researching. Um, I was looking at, you know, Hitler was a, a failed artist, right? He, he, and he was also very into architecture, which is interesting. If you look at his watercolors, look at how he paints architecture versus how he paints people. The architecture has this fluidity, uh, almost soul to it. Mm -hmm. And the people look like they're glued in there, really ugly oh, and just wow. sort of like caricatures. Interesting. But yeah, totally. Like you could do a whole podcast on that alone. Anyway, I was looking at his art and I was looking at some of his earlier sketchbooks because he, he kept sketchbooks. So I think, Early into his fa fascist fanaticism, <laughs> he designed furniture, he designed buildings, he, 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 this, so what I found in one of his first sketchbooks was he had designed this idea for his first um, German national uh, art museum. And he had done the uh, blueprint, like a, a, a sketch drawing of how the footprint would look and he yeah. had the galleries numbered. And then on the side he had, which artists would go in which gallery. And then with, with in that picture, he also drew a line on how everybody was to walk and in what direction, in what order in that gallery. And I was like, holla like that, that to me just That's, is like, yeah. So freaking like a perfect, I wouldn't, it, it encapsulates the idea of the politics of space to me, like he'd wow. already planned it out and wanted you to experience it in a certain way. Yes. And so what I did is I took one of the galleries from his sketch and I built it in the gallery and uh, I sheetrocked it. I sanded it. And so that you would to go, the show would happen in Hitler's gallery. <laughs> and so I also want, you know, when you sand walls and it leaves all that dust, the drywall yeah. dust, it, I left that all on the floor. So actually, as you walked through my show, 
it would make the line that Hitler drew in his sketch. So it'd be like a, a floor drawing. But wow. back to the sound piece. <laughs> so um, I was uh, looking at uh, Theodore Adorno at the time and uh, his writings. Um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanked on his writing. The the. I should culture be able industry. to fill in here. Um, culture what is industry. it? The oh, culture yeah. industry. I think he wrote it with Herc Horkheimer or worked with Horkheimer. him anyway. Yeah. So what I did is I found this algorithm that would turn text into music. And so I plugged in the culture industry by Theodore Adorno into this sound generator. And it just made these dulcet tones of like chimes, you know? And so it yeah. took the text, turned it into notes and then I put like a surround sound music thing in the gallery. So you'd be listening to the culture industry by Theodore Adorno. <laughs> and for, uh, for wow. those who don't know, the culture industry was, a it, it was a critique of, uh, oh gosh, how am I going to, hey, philosophy, <laughs> help me here. <laughs> help me explain it's this been... in a soundbite. <laughs> Go through it. It's been a while for me on Adorno, but just, you know, layman's terms. Is totally um, layman's terms. It's it. He Adorno came out of World War Two and he was uh, very concerned with the rise of, of fascism uh, moving forward and how uh, the politics of like the culture industry being like, oh, God, it's been so long since I read it. But it's it's basically a critique of the aspects of culture that have propaganda and uh, propagandist um, ways of controlling culture, ways of mm -hmm. directing culture. Yeah. And so yeah. it's kind of a bit of a treatise on uh, on deconstructing that in different ways. And be, directing and, how you go through, directing how you go through a museum, directing. Well, not that's me. That's my take. Yeah, right, <laughs> but, right, right, but, right. Yeah, just like uh, different, um, different uh, aspects of culture, and and I mean, in a way, it's almost like a little bit of a baby simulacrum simulation. Like I feel, I feel a connection there from yeah. Baudrillard. Which do I need to ex explain Baudrillard in, in a soundbite? Heck, if um, <laughs> if I've landed the guest who can describe Baudrillard here right now, then I've I've landed the guest, and you are the guest. Oh, but I... <laughs> that's so nice. Um, gosh, again, been a while since I read it, but what I found interesting about Baudrillard and um, how it was written in the '90s, I believe, or '80s. Yeah, I think so it was. It was written, you could say, a while ago, but it seems to be ever more present and ever more uh, appropriate to how we're living today. Um, and he talks about, about simulation, simulacrum. I think like, you know, uh, you might've heard it in the matrix, uh, the yeah. brothers that made that were really into yeah. this book. Um, it's about constructed reality. It's about how they t he talks a lot about Disney world being like this, constructed reality and and how when uh it's a, a simulation of reality and the experience that you have in disneyland which is like this very orchestrated uh um 
experience is almost more representative of America in this very controlled, happy, you know, very uh, deliberate, very deliberate, very deliberate and very um, illusionary way um, that that is more that experience explains America in a very apt and direct way. So these, these sort of constructions become real. Yeah. Is, you am, know I, what? am I in the ballpark, Mr. Philosophy? Yeah, no, you, you are. And it's like the, the, what has to do with the per person who's participating in how much that becomes the, the reality that, that, that they experience. You know, what's strange about the, going to Disneyland, which I, I like for particular reasons for myself, but <laughs> we like to I, when into I was that walking, machine, huh, Ken? <laughs> I, it's, um, uh, it's like, it's like, uh, free chip the space for a little while. Um, <laughs> as and long as you know you're doing it. <laughs> as long as I know I'm doing it, but I, I, I made everybody, um, frustrated because everybody around me or anybody that knows me, because when I went to Disneyland and I saw, the statue of Walt Disney with Mickey, it looks like Stalin to me. Uh -huh. And everybody got really frustrated. I'm like, this looks like, uh, why is Mickey Mouse with Stalin? Like, yeah, why is authoritative, it? Authoritative, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, it was like authoritative. And it's just, it's, I couldn't get my head around it. And they're like, no, that's Walt Disney and his favorite creation, you know, holding hands together. <laughs> it's not, but. Uh, well, I don't think you're uh, that far off, actually. I mean, I, I hadn't I, thought about that until what you were saying. So was I was I getting close there about what's going on in that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so he went on to say that then the simulation is the real. Yeah. Like that's that's the real. It's revealing itself. That is the real, you know, it's um, the illusion is real. And I, I and he goes into far more detail that I'm not really capable of articulating at this point about the difference between simulacrum and simulation. Um, but that's politics of space. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think in, in nowadays too, about that, um, in space. And I think of like a uh, digital space and I was talking to folks about like, take something like housing right now. Right. Like mm -hmm. uh, this housing market thing that I don't think anybody at least in the U.S. right now, as far as uh, maybe speculative uh, property going up in price, uh, access to rentals, access to, um, you know, uh, to 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 affordable housing. And there's all these questions about space. And then you have this digital realm of like real estate that is real in a sense, like digital real estate, like real estate. Oh, that the is metaverse, on, you mean? Yeah, like on the metaverse, and then you have speculative practices, and you have like massive expenditure on the simulation or the reality or whatever as a place to live. There's mm -hmm. another market that's a viable market that duplicates or changes the real, you know. And I, I find that, uh, you know, the for the person who really can't pay their rent in the real physical world and the person buying the $2 million mansion on the, you know, the meta yeah. <laughs> real estate market <laughs> is almost difficult to reconcile. But I believe that's a tension that that's in there and the real and the, 
yeah, be- believe you me, exploitation is gonna, you know, I know it's the wild west of the metaverse, but you know, exploitation is either here or not far behind. <laughs> yeah, why do people think, let me ask you this then on this point, why do people think that there's liberation in a, in a, in, in, in these others? I mean, cause you hear the libertarian argument, you hear people thinking there's liberation, we can create our own systems, we can create our own rules. And for me, I share, I share what you do. I mean, these systems are still tangibly created with interests that are the same as that we have in the, in the real world. Um, do you think people have optimism around? I don't, but. Um, I think that what we're going to see, this is my sort of psychic spidey sense is that in the coming years and decades, you're going to see society come into little, little, uh, like, uh, areas of common interest. Like you see it now in what Idaho where they're having some like crazy ass right wing community is like building up itself and they want to like be self-sufficient and self-governing and they're all like, there's counties. They're not sorry to jump in, but there's counties in Oregon that are Southeast Oregon that are, that have held votes on succeeding. So there's a, there's there's that movement. Uh, yeah. I don't know how far into the rabbit hole that's going to go, but I do see even on a macro, macro, micro. So like, um, macro being like Florida, cutting itself off from the United States or Texas, you know, they've wanted to secede as long as the United States has been around, you know, but you know, now you're like, Oh shit. Are this really really going to happen? Yeah. yeah. um, So that's the macro level. The micro level, I think you're going to see it in communities like you're seeing in Portland and um, this place in Idaho, but I think you're also going to see it on the left. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I want to live on a farm and I want to raise, you know, alpacas and, you know, and hell, yeah, that sounds for that sounds great for me. I'll have my garden. I can like, yeah. and I think we're going to see these coming togethers of like-minded people. Now, with that said, I think agenda is a equal word, Right. So systems inherently have a direction, like yeah. they inherently have, you know, we believe in this, this is our, this is what the rights of this should be. And I think, I don't know a solution, like I don't have a better answer, but I think we should always be aware of the pitfalls within a rigid way of thinking. Yeah. I think there, I think in order for something to be healthy, there always needs to be uh, reflection and readjustment. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things I see is I think other countries have dealt with diverse political opinion by having diverse political systems or, or parties to express, express the will. I think there's been a massive amount of frustration clamped up in the U S systems because they're there isn't. It feels to me there isn't a popular expression of different modes of thought in the po- in the political realm, and 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 I, I I think that in the macro way, I think when you look at other countries or other type of systems with deep tensions, deep historical right. tensions, but still the ability to have things meted out on a political level, I don't see that as being. It doesn't seem to be quite possible. Uh, you know, presently in the U.S. to have those large issues 
settled in, in our political arenas, or it seems to me that it's well, more difficult. I'm, I'm going to challenge what you said, Ken, and I, I think the places that have a balanced back and forth are getting smaller and smaller. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's as common anymore, even in what has been historically very uh, open liberal democracies. <laughs> like, you're seeing it all across yep. Europe, you're seeing it here. It's like there's a wave, you know, obviously it's global it's global and so a limiting so a general a general limiting or the there in what i'm saying which could very well be true a little bit more of a nostalgic multi-party type of thing that there's been mm. tensions the deep tensions on uh, oh as an artist i'm very very critical of nostalgia so yeah. the snap nostalgia is the base of all fascism yeah well it's the longing uh, you know i think going back into um you know, the longing, the root of the word longing for home, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the longing for home, the longing to go to a place that actually no longer exists, right? right. And that, that, that's some of the, that's some of the threat. Um, uh, I hear you. Thanks for pushing back too, because I do think, um, if, well, for me, for me, I, I just to, just to dig in one tiny bit was it has to do like, for me in looking at systems, looking on the macro system is that there's something to do about the expression of expression of something that, that like, like if people feel that they have voted or connected to something or that they have an option, people will do something, will do an act and feel that it's participated or had a, had a meaning. And I think that assumption or that belief or that reality that it, will change something has really been under attack that absolutely that, that that it will make a difference that we can vote a certain way and just double down on that behavior and see the same results that are slipping away so i agree um, and not to be a debbie downer i think the damage is done yeah i don't i don't think it i mean it can only move into more active active uh, uh, believers of, of, of power in, in, in questioning the validity of free and fair elections, the damage has already been done. And so, I, yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree with that. And I'm, I think it was one of the things you, that, uh, that I think as citizens, you know, I think, once I saw January 6th, mm -hmm. I felt I knew what was truly going down now and into the future. Um, just that there was that there was an there that an outright conflict uh, was coming. Um, uh, so it's interesting. I, I when. Trump was just elected. I saw an interview with Masha Gessen, who's an amazing writer. She's uh, she writes books. She writes articles on politics. She's um, originally from Russia, and she lives in the United States. So she has a her her writing has a very clear political lens. Always has. Um, There's an interview with her after after um, Trump was elected because she's lived through this sort of regime in Russia. You know. Yeah. Um, pushing down free speech. And um, she said, know what your, know what your limit is and write it down because these things happen incrementally. 
right? It's boiling the frog where yeah, the, yeah. The, the water gets turned up so slow, you don't know you're being boiled. So I had one interesting, so I, that's always been in my mind. And um, I think when I really started freaking out, and I had been freaking out pretty regularly, but the, the sign to me, because remember I was interested in architecture and fascism and the, the science of space. Yes. It was a very unremarkable headline about Trump that he had ordered government buildings to be uh, no longer modernist constructions. And he wanted them to be um, more uh, have more grandeur and historical. I don't remember exactly, but it was, it was basically right out of Hitler's idea of the theory of ruin, which the theory of ruin with Albrecht Spears and Hitler uh, he, Albert Spears was like his, uh, architect, if you will. And they, he br- would bring things to the table. They collaborate on stuff, but his main thing was this, this notion that, uh, a culture and a nation's strength can be perceived through their materials and their ruins and architecture. And so like, he, that's why Hitler was like obsessed with like the, the Roman ruins and the Greek ruins, because they had this real, you know, uh, timelessness about about it. So it was very the theory of ruin was ruin was very much against modern building techniques, modern materials, but in favor of like granite and things that withstand the test of time. So Hitler was very into this idea, and that's why if you look at a lot of the designs that he did for architecture for his planned city, they're all very classical. And, you know, very ornate because he wanted the Third Reich to be represented within this strength and, you know, everlasting material. And and um, and so what this is a what Albert Spears would do, Albert Spears would do is he would actually when he wanted to propose an idea to Hitler for a building, he would have it painted and drawn or drawn as a ruin. To show really? him what it's going to look like after the thousand years of the Third Reich. Oh my goodness! And he would present it to Hitler, and everyone's like, "Are you fucking crazy? What are you doing?" <laughs> and Hitler loved it because it showed him that the power and the strength of the Third Reich will outlast through the means. Yeah. So in space, I uh, I'm a, in talking about architecture. I um. Uh, my gosh, there's so much in what you said. I mean, it's really, it's, 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 it's really, um, clicking for me. I mean, uh, when I have a, I have a great friend of mine and his name's, uh, David, he's a architect, architect down in, uh, San Francisco and he's, he's studied it and everything. And, um, you know, I, my thinking is, is transformed by different ways of seeing. And he was, a, he's a very good friend of mine and he would, I would travel with him to different cities and I would start to link up into some of the way that you're talking about of understanding space and how you navigate it and what its intent was, mm-hmm. um, where I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's all there, but I just didn't know how I was being led or invited or <laughs> repelled. Yeah. And it really helped me, uh, it really helped me to, to understand uh, cities, which I love, or space, you know, uh, and navigating it and what my experience was, whether I created it 
uh, whether it was for somebody else's intended to be. And I think about museums in particular, about a the curated experience or when you're talking about like Disneyland, these are curated, placed and, mm-hmm. and, and to move through uh, in this way. And there was something really startling when you were talking about Trump. I didn't know he had talked about buildings in that way. I didn't read. Or, yeah, and then Trump started to and I freaked the fuck out. I I would have <laughs> like then too. I, I Maybe it's better I didn't encounter that. Yeah, it was, was a like, small headline amongst all this shit that was happening, but it was Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, I um, uh, so oh man, um, architecture we, we're covering it all here. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Pamela. We're covering all. I got to ask you the big question before. OK. You know, we 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 uh, end up uh, exhausting you, although I don't think that would take uh, it might take a while because I know we can talk <laughs> a whole bunch. Um, but uh, the big question, let's 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 see you take a stab at it. Um, uh, Pam, why why is there something rather than nothing? Like well, why? I'm, I'm going to politely push back on you on that one. Actually. Yes, this is the second time. All right. <laughs> I, love I believe this. there. I believe there is something and there is nothing. Yeah. So that's There's your both. answer. There's both. <laughs> it's both. They both exist simultaneously. I think the uh, I love uh, the pushback I get a lot too. Is my favorite pushback on the question is the folks will say it's the real question is how. How is there something rather than that? But that doesn't get to what you're saying, since you're saying there is something in 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 nothing. It's um, it's it's happening concurrently. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of quantum physics-y, my yeah. answer, but. Yeah, well, I know for for one th- for one thing, Pam. Uh, uh, having, having you talking to you as a guest and the, 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 the pushbacks, I'm always <laughs> looking, nobody, no, but check this out, Pam. Nobody ever knows that's what I'm looking for. Right. Like oh, nobody good. knows, nobody knows surprised. that. Then, then I feel like r- really good. No, it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's really great. And I think it's like, um, you know, uh, getting the questions right. And, and, and thinking about, you know, think about art in, in, in society. I'm listening to some lectures, you know, Plato's Republic, you know. And, oh, yeah. You know. That actually, that was, uh, yes, the um, Plato's, um, that was another big thing that, again, it, it, it's all a thread to the, you know, the idea of uh, illusion and believability and, you know, the, the Plato's, what is that one with the hand puppets on the wall? Oh, with the, with the cave, the, yeah, the, the cave. parabola, the cave. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, if I was to look at everything, it all kind of constellates around that idea. I'm sure there's other people I'm not very well. No, I think, I think, I think your instincts are exact on that. And with the parable of the cave, the idea of the, um, you know, the reflection of, of the images on the wall and, and those folks seeing those uh, projected images attaching them as right. being and, and as reality. And I think that that's, that's the question, at least within philosophy about knowing things or knowing what reality is. That's the fundamental uh, question because, right. Um, you know, for, for, for Plato, there is an ideal somewhere out there. Uh, there is, there is the form of the good. There are these uh, you know, there are these things that are real and, you know, the idea that things, on our realm, our, our, our copies has 
implications, right, about what's real or what you strive towards. And um, I think thinking about politics and society, you know, that that is the work of Western literature where it's like, okay, society's fucked up. You know, they killed Socrates. Now, this is not the most erudite uh, rendition of the <laughs> Republic, but, you know, Athens fucked up. They killed Socrates. Socrates was a really smart guy who was yeah. doing the, the right thing. How the hell we create a state that doesn't kill somebody like Socrates because he's pretty cool. So that's the <laughs> that's the Republic for me. So, um, but yeah, just thinking about in thought, um, politics and systems and, 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 and the role of art, which was prominent in, in, you know, in the Republic, what should art be the art that art should depict the gods behaving in a useful and good way, which doesn't sound that much fun. So, I mean, as there's as many writers debating that topic as, you know, as you could Heidegger and Kant and, you know, the, the nature of reality, the nature of, uh, aesthetic experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh my goodness. Well, we have, um, I think, uh, sometime in the future, PM, we're going to have to, uh, kind of try to give another, um, another <laughs> Talk go about at the music. <laughs> well, no, 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 not the music. Well, I adore, I adore the music. It's not that about <laughs> what we're trying to do, looking at the, <laughs> The history of thought and trying to, you know, um, to use some some great thinkers to try to to, to crack into things. But um, uh, I um, I just wanted to let you know, uh, uh, Pam, um, I, 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 I I just really enjoy talking to you. And um, one of the, one of the I'll, I'll mention a couple hinky things just to reveal like it all out there. I, I think that. I think that even something about like talking about Hitler and like having a conversation, like what did, what was this guy doing? What was that mind working like? It's mm -hmm. super important, but it, I, I think a lot of people don't want to, you know, go into that area and see deeply what evil or bad thought or what was behind that. And I think that, you know, reliving this phenomena, you know, and seeing this phenomena or the sensitivity that you had towards the Trump headline on page 12 about right. space in, in buildings, buildings and epic architecture. was super important, like to, yeah. you know, to, to, to understand and, and, and to grapple with, but, um, no, thanks. Thanks for coming on and talking philosophy unions. Uh, we have plenty more to we have plenty more to talk about. I think we'll do uh, we'll do a we'll do a second part. And 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 uh, I just wanted to let you know I I really appreciate your time, uh, the conversation, and 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 uh, just just the thinking. Um, it's, it's been great to chat with you. Thank you, Ken, and thanks for inviting me to do this. This is this is great, even though I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> No, your voice sounds, your voice sounds nice. <laughs> but I, I, I like it singing and talking. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate the invitation and just a sensitivity to kind of what I'm thinking and what I'm putting out there, and and a curiosity about it. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. I got a lot to think about. Um, you know, this, seriously though, your uh, your your critical mind and critical eye. I I, I enjoy chatting about this stuff because it, it sparks and spurs me to 
get get my head, you know, always moving and, and, and thinking about things. So, Pam Valver, thank you so much for coming on to uh, Something Rather Than Nothing, as you could tell by the content of this conversation. Pam and I will be chatting again sometimes in the future, if she's so willing. Um, thank you for your union work, Pam. Thank you for uh, creating. Uh, thank you for the music. Um, and uh, hope to chat with you again very soon. That would be lovely. Thank you. Thank you, too, Kim. Thanks, Pam.
is something rather than nothing.